Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Larson, owner of TudorsDynasty.com, and welcome to the extended Queen Elizabeth month on the show. last podcast was two weeks ago because of Christmas, and since then, my research and writing has been at a minimum. As I discussed on Facebook, I've been having a difficult time with this part of her life. The purpose of these episodes on Elizabeth was not only to share with all of you, but to open my own eyes on the woman, the queen, that I've had very little interest in. My interest has always been with her father, Henry VIII. I've never been a big fan of Elizabeth, only Princess and Lady Elizabeth Tudor. This series on her is a selfish one, one that will show me something about the adult Elizabeth that I was unaware of. Now let's talk a bit about my show. If you're new to my podcast and found me on iTunes, you're missing out on a bunch of episodes that came before I integrated with iTunes. If you're interested in hearing all of them, you can go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudor's Dynasty, and you can click on Posts. I also have a link to them on TudorsDynasty.com in the menu. Speaking of Patreon, I need to take a moment to thank my new patron, Frankie S., as well as my existing patrons. Without your support, I wouldn't be able to continue with these podcasts. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. All the money received from the patrons like you go right back into the show, the cost of running the website, and research materials including subscriptions to those hidden or hard-to-find documents. Believe it or not, I do have a full-time day job, and this is something that I do in my ever-decreasing downtime. Creating a podcast can easily take 15 hours a week, something that my husband is not too keen about, but it's my passion, and he supports me. He might not understand why I'm so obsessed with the tutors, but he does support my passion. If you'd like to become a patron of my podcast, go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com and click on Become a Patron. For as little as $1 per month, you can show your support. Now, I'd like to thank all the people who are currently supporting me. Thank you to Jessica, Kim, Kathy, Katie, Rachel H., Diane, Joy, Lynn, James, Rachel D., Lacey, Angela, Azaria, Alithia, Anne, Maria, Cynthia, Lisa, Stacy, Nora, Wendy, Frankie, Ramey, Catherine, Carrie, Jen, Heather, Cheryl, Mary, Nicole, Tanya, Astra, and Melissa. Thank you so much again for all of your continued support. Now, let's get on with the show. Sit back. Relax, close your eyes, and prepare to be transported back in time to the life of Elizabeth Tudor, Queen of England. At the end of our last podcast, we ended with Elizabeth under house arrest at Woodstock. At Woodstock, Elizabeth was allowed to keep six of her own servants, three men and three women. The women were with her constantly while the men could come and go. This made it easy for messages to be delivered. Beddingfield was housing a woman who could easily outsmart his rules there wasn't much he could do about it. While he was doing a job for the crown, Bedingfield understood that one day Elizabeth would be queen and he would have her to answer to. 
As a prisoner at Woodstock, it was Elizabeth's responsibility to pay for her jailer, Beddingfield, and his staff. She had to pay for their food and drink, so they were dependent on Elizabeth for sustenance. While Woodstock was better than the tower, Elizabeth hated her time there. If she had wished to escape her jail, there were a couple of options at her disposal. At first, a coup d'etat, but that wouldn't be as easy as one would think. It was imperative for Elizabeth not to dethrone Mary or have her killed. Her biggest concern was the impact of repeated usurpation on the throne. First, Lady Jane Grey, and then Mary. An aggressive act on the part of Elizabeth could have caused doom for the Tudor dynasty. The only way out of her jail would have been to negotiate with her sister, the Queen. When Elizabeth told Bedingfield that she wished to send a letter to her sister, he denied her request. As per the rules, she was not supposed to communicate with anyone, including the Queen. Bedingfield, the smart man he was, had mentioned her request to write the Queen to the Council. Their response, which obviously came from the Queen, was that she was pleased that Elizabeth should write. The actual letter did not survive history, but author David Starkey states that we know a broad outline from Mary's response. Starkey states that Elizabeth professed her innocence. The Queen said that she was most sorry for having been suspicious of her sister, but copies of letters had been found in the French ambassador's bag that had appeared to implicate Elizabeth, as well as the fact that she had been used as a figurehead for Wyatt's rebellion. This did not bode well for Elizabeth's cause. Queen Mary had been quoted as saying, Conspiracies be secretly practiced, and things of that nature by many times judged by probably conjectures and other suspicions and arguments, where the plain direct proof may chance to fail. It was the actions of Elizabeth that showed her sister her guilt. The Queen was tired of her sister's disguise and colorable letters. She informed Elizabeth through a letter to Bedingfield that she must behave properly toward God, which would eventually improve her behavior toward the Queen herself. When Elizabeth heard the content of her sister's letter to Bedingfield, her reaction was one of regret. She wished her letter would have had a better reaction from her sister. Just because she had a way with words did not ensure her safety and freedom. This had become obvious to her. Eventually, Elizabeth was given permission to approach the council through the means of Bedingfield. Her plea to the council was that she should be put on trial for the charges against her, and she wanted a face-to-face meeting with her sister. If both requests were denied, then she requested the council come to Woodstock to hear her case. Elizabeth was an excellent lobbyist. The benefit for Elizabeth was that the council was divided. There were those who understood that she would one day be queen herself. This meant the members of the council had to look out for themselves and their futures. Unfortunately, Elizabeth would spend nearly a year at Woodstock. That is until she was summoned to court by her sister, who was now married to Philip of Spain and believed to be with child. It was the 17th of April when Bedingfield received the letter. He was told by the Queen to bring Elizabeth at once. Elizabeth arrived at court, which was being held at Hampton Court Palace sometime between the 24th and 29th of April. She did not have the grand entrance of a princess, but was essentially snuck in the back door. Mary had brought her sister to court to be there when she gave birth to her heir and to be present at the christening. Of course, the heir would never come because she was not pregnant, only believed to be. But we'll get back to that a bit later. During Elizabeth's time at court, Prince Philip saw an opportunity to keep Elizabeth under his thumb and essentially the Queen's as well. He wished for Elizabeth to marry his friend, the Catholic Prince, the Duke of Savoy. Elizabeth refused to be a pawn and the marriage never happened. Instead, the Duke of Savoy married the daughter of King Francis I of France. 
The first week of May brought more fear into Elizabeth's life when she was summoned to the pregnant queen's rooms at 10 at night. Elizabeth feared an assassination attempt. At this point, she was aware that death could be around every corner awaiting her. This late night meeting with her sister was the first time in a year that Mary and Elizabeth had seen one another. Little did Elizabeth know that at the time, but her new brother-in-law, Prince Philip, was listening in on the conversation behind a tapestry on the wall. He was very interested in how this all played out. You see, Philip's interest was with Elizabeth, the much younger and prettier sister, who could still provide an heir for England and Spain. His wife, Mary, the Queen of England, had not yet given birth, and many believe that she had not been pregnant at all. But they dare not say that to the Queen. Philip's attitude toward the Protestant princess had recently changed. His eyes had turned from one sister to the other. Elizabeth, compared to her aging and less attractive sister, was very appealing to Philip. He was a man, nonetheless. Philip had wed Mary to bring England on his side with Spain's ongoing struggles with France, and it had become obvious to Philip that his wife was not with child after all, and that her womb only carried disease. These were the things that made Elizabeth attractive to Philip. His fear was that if Mary died, that Mary Stuart, the Queen of Scots, would inherit the Catholic throne of England. The Scottish Queen had extreme ties to the French throne through her engagement to the Dauphin. Elizabeth was fully aware of how the tide was changing in her favor and she took full advantage of the situation. While Elizabeth saw the events of the time turning in her favor, she also felt pity on her sister, the woman who had once cared so much for her. As the Queen's pregnancy continued, even her doctors believed she was still a child. They believed that they had merely miscalculated her due date. This reminds me of her mother Catherine of Aragon's miscarriage when doctors believed that she was carrying twins and had miscarried one. Even while her doctors continued to assume the pregnancy was valid, the women closest to the queen knew that she was not with child at all. They had known her since childhood and had seen how Mary suffered during her monthly courses. The queen's midwife and servant had witnessed her recently and were quoted as saying that the queen's state was by no means of the hopeful kind generally supposed, but rather some woeful malady. For several times a day, she spent long hours sitting on the floor with her knees drawn up to her chin. As we understand today, that is not normal behavior for a pregnant lady. I could not imagine when I was at the end of my pregnancy bringing my knees to my chin. My belly was too firm and too big to do so. We know that Mary's womanly courses had never been normal and that she had suffered from retention of menstrual fluids and a strangulation of her womb. In my opinion, I believe Mary suffered from endometriosis. During her supposed pregnancy, her body had swelled and her breast had become swollen and produced milk. No wonder the doctors at the time believed she was pregnant. Four months after she had taken to her chamber, Mary realized all was lost. At the beginning of August, she snuck out of Hampton Court and slipped away to Oatland's Palace, the place that her father had married Catherine Howard. Surely she was embarrassed that she had not been with child after all. She had let down England, Philip, and herself. Throughout all those months at Hampton Court, while the Queen was lying in, Elizabeth was by her sister's side. She had witnessed the heartache of her pain and the sadness of her mental state. Not only had this broken the Queen's spirit, but it had also done great damage to the Queen's reputation in public. On the 18th of October, 1555, Elizabeth was given permission to leave court and head back to Hatfield. As she traveled through London on her way out, the crowds cheered loudly for her. Elizabeth understood the danger of the crowd's reaction to her and instructed her men to quiet them for fear of the queen finding out. Once at Hatfield, her life was indeed better than it had been while at Woodstock. 
Bedingfield was no longer her jailer, and only a month later, Cat Ashley was allowed to rejoin Elizabeth. In the meantime, Philip was summoned by his father, Charles V, to attend to business in the Netherlands. When Queen Mary found out about the summons, she wrote Charles asking Philip to stay. She needed him. Her appeals fell on deaf ears. When no child appeared, Philip prepared to leave England. He had requested that his beautiful sister-in-law be present to bid him farewell, something that upset the Queen dearly. In July 1556, Elizabeth had been informed that her former stepmother and great ally, Anne of Cleves, had died. Anne's will declared that the sisters should receive her best jewels. She was the last of Henry VIII's wives to die. Her death would have affected Elizabeth deeply. It was around this time that Philip had reluctantly returned to England. Mary was beside herself with happiness. The following summer, he left once more, and Mary once again believed herself with child. In February 1558, Elizabeth visited her sister at Richmond Palace to give her well wishes on a safe delivery and probably to see for herself if Mary was indeed with child. Elizabeth presented the queen with baby clothes that she had made herself. A week later, Elizabeth left Richmond to return to Hatfield. Near the end of her life, Queen Mary once again reached out to her sister. Elizabeth returned to court per her sister's request. At court, it had become obvious to everyone that the queen was dying. She needed to name an heir, and Elizabeth was the obvious answer. However, she was Protestant, and this was difficult for Mary to acknowledge. Her husband even sent his confessor to Mary to persuade her to name Elizabeth as her heir. After much resistance, she eventually gave in and told Philip that she was much pleased with his suggestion. While she agreed with Philip, she did not formally acknowledge her choice. On the 28th of October, 1558, Mary updated her will and finally acknowledged that she would have no child and that the crown should transfer to the next heir by law. She had not directly named Elizabeth, but all knew who she meant. It wasn't until a week later that Mary finally relented and named Elizabeth her heir. Mary's favorite lady, Jane Dormer, was sent to deliver the Queen's final wishes to Elizabeth, that she was to uphold the Roman Catholic faith, to be good to her servants, and to pay her debts. Elizabeth, being as evasive as ever, was careful not to promise to fulfill her wishes, in particular, religion. On the 18th of November, 1558, at 4 or 5 in the morning, Queen Mary I died. Elizabeth was now Queen of England. So that's where we'll end the show this week. Queen Mary is dead and Elizabeth was now Queen of England. When we come back, we'll continue on the story of Elizabeth Tudor. Until next time. <laughs> 